There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. Hey, I'm Tyler. And I'm Casey. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, Normal Woods people? Today, Casey and I are sitting uh, on a rainy kind of day in my, my house, which is neat because we've done so much podcasting in trucks over the last few years. Uh, especially there was a time when you and I both didn't really have a house. And so it's nice to be in a house and I'm thankful that we can sit on the couch again and podcast in comfort (laughs) (laughs) and in relative quietness. Um, but, uh, if you're listening, thank you so much for just, uh, being, being a, uh, a listener of the podcast. We appreciate that a lot, guys. This, uh, this thing that we do, we don't take lightly. Um, we've been blessed with an opportunity to, to do what we do and, uh, we really appreciate your support. It means a lot to us. So with that said, we've got a Q&A podcast today. We're going to be answering some questions from you guys. Um, and we have a lot of questions that have been submitted. Um, you know, it, you can also submit questions for future Q&A podcasts. We're going to try to do one of these maybe every couple months and maybe even more often than that during the season. Um, so right now we're coming out with this thing. Mid-October, and hopefully it helps you in this latter part of October going into the rut. Um, not to mention, I think there's some things that don't even, they may not even only cover deer hunting, but yeah. uh, there's a Let's lot of that kind of stuff. Let's figure on doing like a rut Q&A, too. <laughs> I know right. we're kind of stacking them close. We meant to have this one out before South Dakota, but you lost your voice and we were in separate trucks and it was pretty tough. And then now, today's my first day to have a voice back, yeah. pretty much. So, uh and it's like October 14th. So At one point, uh, you and I could not turkey call at the same time, both of us. So like, if we'd have been turkey hunting, it would have been, been bad. bad trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were uh, – it was crazy. I, I kind of got sick, I guess, on the way up there um, and lost my voice almost completely. Um, and then by the time I started gaining my, my 
fight back in me and my voice and everything. KC was pretty much, I guess, had the same thing, whatever it was, and lost his voice. And so we basically went on a 10-day trip. We couldn't podcast one time, hardly. I guess there was one day when, you know, we did a short short update. Yeah. So uh, we'll be doing another couple of updates here pretty soon. Um, but anyway, this is the this is a Q&A podcast. We're going to make it uh, pretty simply that, and we're going to get after it pretty quick here because there's a lot of questions, and we don't have a ton of time. Um, just make sure real quick, guys, that uh, we'll probably remind you of this at the end, but we have um, a lot of stuff coming out on YouTube right now. South Dakota stuff, we were real successful there. So we're going to be putting a lot of videos out from there. Really cool. If you want to, for, if you like following the storylines as we go on these trips and stuff, we're going to do a little bit of that. It's not just going to be like, hey, we killed a buck, and then hey, we killed another buck. It's going to, it's going to tell you how we got there throughout, you know, kind of like the Ranch Buck series a little bit. So hopefully we can uh, start releasing those pretty quick. We've also got a um, how to hang a saddle fast episode where KC hangs about 12 foot up in less than five minutes, right under five minutes. So uh, shows kind of how he does things when he goes up in a tree. Maybe you can learn something from that. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what we've got going on on YouTube. So make sure you're subscribed over there to see what we've got going on this year. Thank you so much for the support there. And uh, with that, KC, I guess we'll hop into this unless you got something else you want to say. Let's do a little hopping. All right. So... Um, do you plan to hunt all states or just certain ones? I think your answer is better on this than me. I want to hunt the fun states. I don't really want to go hunt anything that's like, man, you should go hunt Florida. You know, like, I mean, Dude, whatever. We've, been, we've had that said a so bunch. many times yeah. to us. And uh, just, I, I would like to hunt a bunch of states, but I, I don't want to go somewhere that's just really tough. I like I like to enjoy my hunting. But why what about hunt, you? Why hunt Florida when you can hunt uh, East Texas? Yeah, exactly. Same, not drive all the distance. Same tiny deer, I'm same going difficulty. To I'm going to Almorada, okay? Like, <laughs> exactly I ain't stopping right. around in no deer country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm, I kind of would like, I have this kind of goal, or I had it at least one point. I mean, who knows if I'll ever get there, but I kind of had a goal to shoot a deer in every state that they are, they exist. So um, that's kind of a thing that I still think would be cool to do. Uh, but right now I'm all about hunting fun states too. So definitely not going to Florida anytime soon. Um, in Nebraska, did you find a lot of cattle on public? If so, did, did you see many deer on that particular piece? Mm, yeah, actually we, we found a lot of cattle, but there were deer still in some of the habitat pockets. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, big country answer. though. Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're hunting a small piece, I feel like that has a lot of cattle on it. I don't feel very good Mm-mm. about that. Like if I can see that on the aerial that there's cattle at a, at a stock tank or something, like, I'm probably not going There's there. grazed and there's grazed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's uh, <clears throat> basically a golf course grazed. Um, open country versus wooded. What is your favorite and why? Um, for me, that's a tough question uh, <laughs> because it's a very g- general question. It's yeah. a broad question. Like, what's your favorite? Um, I can tell you – I'll tell you what I like about each one. How about um, – Open country, I like the fact that you can see deer and learn almost every day from deer. Um, that's one thing you miss out in wooded country. In wooded country, um, I like other things about wooded country, such as um, the fact that there is a lot more plant life around. So there's a lot more to observe. There's uh, A lot of times there's more deer per square mile in that country. So you have a chance of running into a lot of deer if you find the right spot. Um, 
and then there are things in the woods um, that can direct deer if you really dig in and pay attention um, as opposed to un- open country sometimes like especially you know you, you can you can think in open country that well if I'm in trees then I'm probably in a good spot and you're probably right but if you have a big old uh, you know section of, of grassland how do you figure that out you know there are ways for sure but mm-hmm. those deer can still you know move 100 yards away and it be no you know no different than where you're at so mm-hmm. what about you uh i would say just to give an answer open country yeah. i like seeing deer making moves on them you're a seer uh, i am dude i got uh, god bless me with good eyes so <laughs> i like to use those as much as i can however there is the redeeming quality of uh you know wooded country where you know your deer densities are higher mm-hmm. and you can go like 400 yards and be in a new group of deer almost yeah so. yeah yeah for sure you're kind of like a hawk you see really well you can <laughs> screech really loud <laughs> yeah <laughs> surprised you can do that i know right uh, favorite state or terrain <laughs> in parentheses says big woods swamps cut over etc it's a similar question but maybe uh maybe there's different, different I, don't, I don't know if i could tell you my favorite state because i haven't got to hunt all the ones i want to yet mm-hmm. um but favorite terrain um, is probably going to be like overgrown bottoms where there's not a bunch of trees. They call those fat bottom girls. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I like places like if I could just pick out an ideal whitetail hunting spot, and you probably can think about which area I'm talking about. Um, there is weeds and forbs and all that stuff that's six foot tall. And there's little holes and pockets where the deer can move through, and there's a few trees scattered around through in there, and that's what I like. That's my favorite spot to hunt. Like, um, maybe if you're, you know, from the north, you might call it marsh country. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm with you. You know, I actually killed a deer in South Dakota, a very similar type of habitat, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit. uh, What I had found was an open area that, not necessarily (laughs) open, but it was open within the timber, had some bigger trees that, were spread out more, and all that stuff underneath was real uh, thick. So, same deal, man. I like a big overgrown bottom. Uh, my favorite state that I've hunted, and maybe I created this hype for myself, but Iowa was really cool. Um, it's hard to beat Iowa. I mean, just especially where I was at, man, like there's so many different types of habitats and terrain there that you can get into something new in a matter of no time, you know. You mm-hmm. got got swamps, you got open country, you got um, – Big woods, you got ridge country, so it's pretty cool. Um, how did you start? That's the question. How did you start? Uh, does that mean hunting or does that mean <laughs> the all that stuff? Life. Well, how did you get started in life? Uh, sometime <laughs> on hunting. December 14th. <laughs> actually, December 13th, my mom went into labor. Uh, no, probably started hunting. Um, my first hunting memory was my dad had a little lease that we grew watermelons on in East Caney, and I was five, and it had some woods on the back, and I went out here out there one time with him when he had a thirty thirty, and we were walking through the woods, and he shot a little eight point. That, that's fine. That's what I remember from... I was making so much noise. <laughs> I was, like, running through the leaves jumping, you know, and it was just pretty much him taking me out to do, you know, just to be mm-hmm. out, you know, but we actually ended up shooting a deer. So That's cool. I, another thing I remember is he, like, found, like, two sticks, and each, like, each of it had four branches, and he stuck those two things in the ground, <laughs> kind of like it was, like, a tradition thing, and I don't know if we ever did that ever again. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, dude. I, yeah. For me, um, I guess, 
if you're asking me like what what it looked like to start, same deal like story wise that you're talking about. It's like uh, first deer hunting I ever did was down in Ensenal, Texas. My dad had a buddy who um, had a foreman that worked for him that owned land down there, way down south. So we got to go to a hundred acre spot down there, and I killed my first deer down there. That was that was uh, not my first experience. I guess my first experience was around here local. Um, running around on a lease that my dad had, same kind of deal, looking for little bucks to shoot. Shot at one, gut shot him uh, off my dad's shoulder, and was real sad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's kind of like my start. I guess if you're talking about starting, how'd you get started in you know what we do today, that's kind of a long road. Could go into big detail on that, but uh, maybe might, you can clarify in the next Q&A might session. Might need to be its whole podcast or something yeah. one of these days. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, <laughs> where do you like to set up? This is, comes from a, a gentleman named Eric Gentry. Where do you like to set up late season when there's not much food around? That's a good question. Well, near the food that is around. <laughs> I think that would Find be, the food. That would be the, the answer. I kind of I think that helps you out some. I mean – uh, if you're talking public land versus private land, that's going to probably vary quite a bit because a lot of times if you're on private, you've got the food. Uh, if you're on public, you're not, you know, you have to find, sometimes you might have the bedding if you're, if you're hunting on public. Uh, I will tell you that last year, my late season hunting was mostly in Texas and it was much more pressure dependent. I went to a place where people hadn't been very much and there was quite a few deer in there. But there's food around. There is some food around. I mean, there's like in Texas, even in that time of year, they can eat green briar or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's their honeysuckle, privet. They're going to find something late season around here. That's the that's the key. Is uh, old Gentry lives up in Illinois, and so for there, now, yeah, there may not be much food around late season up there. So you, I mean, you have to find it. Like, and you know, those deer can live on woody browse or whatever, but like they have to have something to eat. So you have to figure out what that is, and. That's going to be some kind of destination food source in most cases. But if you're in the south or something like that, you know, there's food around. So, like KC said, find something that is not uh, – doesn't have dudes crawling in it or whatever, you know. So, um, this guy says, I don't know much about arrows, TBH. Y'all shoot vector. What grain and why? Oh, this is Nick uh, Guadamerican. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first because right. you probably have a better explanation. Mm. Um, we shoot Vector because it is an affordable option for a quality heavy arrow. Um, and I'm actually shooting the ZMRs right now, which are unreleased, but they are soon to release. So be looking for those. They're a little bit lighter than the HMR, which is also known as the Hammer. And um, I had a pass-through in South Dakota. Are those Zammers? Zammers. Zimmers Amersons. <laughs> uh but yeah, so like as far as grain, I think I'm shooting with those five twenty five, I think is what I'm shooting. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. That's, that's with the insert. That's a good weight. Um I'm shooting the hammers, uh, and my TOW is which means total air weight, is about um six hundred, which to be honest, is probably what you would call overkill. But that's just kind of where it ended out, and it's tuning really well, so that's what I'm shooting right now. I might shoot some of those ZMRs in the future, but just like Tyler, like I like the durability of them. I like a heavier arrow for sure, and Vector has 
really a pretty cool tool on their website to just be able to determine what is the perfect arrow for your bow mm-hmm. and send you some. And you can choose some colors and stuff like that if you want to. You also get a uh, discount through us, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, code element, all caps. You get 10% off. So yeah. uh, you legit can get top-end arrows to your door for about the same price as you'd go to a shop and get, you know, medium-grade arrows mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, they, they're within uh, one one-thousandth of tolerance so mm-hmm. pretty good arrows anyways yeah. um we also like the owner isaac He's yeah been isaac's on the a good dude good christian guy and um so in general to kind of make it broader than vector uh why do we shoot that type of arrow um because you can kill them with all of them but in my opinion the pluses outweigh the minuses with a heavier setup versus a lighter setup with a lighter setup you have flatter trajectory and faster bows. Um, deer can pretty much outjump any speed bow, so I don't worry too much about that. The flatter trajectory is the nicer thing, and that's kind of why I'm interested in moving back down to like that 525, 530 range possibly in the future. However, I'm not having any problems with trajectory at all because I smoked a South Dakota deer with a 600 grainer. Trajectored through the heart. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but uh, I think that... Um, with that heavier arrow, you definitely don't feel bad about crowding the shoulder and try to shoot one in the pocket as opposed to uh, mm-hmm. kind of the traditional outdoor model, outdoor TV model is like... Shoot them in the middle. Liver, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shoot them in the liver, lungs, and find, find them in the, the morning. Next morning. Yeah. yeah. Not not really into that. I want to shoot them and, and find them in 20 minutes. And yeah. And that's what you and I both did on this trip. We so. did. We did. <laughs> I can't wait to release those videos, dude. Uh, um, okay, let's see... How do y'all know where the bucks will get pressured to on Texas public sh- public land shotgun areas? Mm, it's tough. Uh, but I would say most of the time it's in places that people don't want to hunt. Yeah. Not just that they don't want to go, because mm. I think that that's actually pretty easy to figure out, and then there's enough dudes that are willing to go to the places that people don't want to go. But what we find, and you can probably back me up with a little bit more on this, is that... Um, Places that it's tough to actually hunt, tough to either hang a saddle or a stand, or tough to not get seen, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. What do you think? Oh, 100%. That's um, that's where you had a lot of land, or a lot of <laughs> success Wish last year. Wish I had a lot of land. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, like last year on Texas Public Land, that's where you ended your season, was in a place that was hard to hunt mm-hmm. and you had a hard time hunting it too i mean and i th- and i truly think you're just a great hunter i mean so like i think that yeah <laughs> you're really feeling it <laughs> um but i mean i would say like that even a guy that i feel like hunts very is a very good hunter also had a hard time in here so you know especially somebody who doesn't maybe have as much experience as you mm-hmm. or something would really have a hard time too probably um but maybe they see it with uh, fresh eyes and see it differently. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, my, my thoughts are that, you know, like, same thing with South Dakota. If you look at the aerial, man, and you just kind of don't really dig in on it, like, what I, where I killed, you're just like, oh, just expanse, you know? Like, what is, what is where do you hunt in there? Mm-hmm. And, and how do you, you know, find a find where the deer are going to be that morning or whatever? And so I think that's definitely a good, good thought is, like, and I was not, I mean, we were 250 yards in or whatever. Like, we were not far mm-hmm. in from the road. So that's the thing is, like, you don't have to necessarily go a mile and a half to go where other guys won't. But mm-hmm. that helps, right? But, like, 
you know, sometimes like you may, there may be a road or a trail that leads into a place and that helps you get a quick half mile back into it. Well, right up next to the road, off of that road, if you just were to just pop off of it real quick, then, you know, and you hadn't hardly been on it, like guys may not want to hunt that right behind those houses or something, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know. And so they end up uh, passing by and getting getting further up in there, you know. And so deer will pocket up in that area, especially when they're getting pressure deep, you know. Um, I think <clears throat> I think from about a quarter mile to three quarters of a mile is a very heavy pressure spot a lot of times for mm-hmm. most public land. So yeah. that gives you an idea, maybe. A lot of guys want to go in and take at least two turns and then feel like, oh, I'm here. Yeah. You know. And they've been about 0.6 of a mile yeah, that's or whatever. It. Yeah, that's it. So, um, <laughs> let's see. Thoughts on scent eliminators. Recommendations. This is from Mr. 1D Gossett. Hmm. What do you think? I think that um, I use a scent eliminator spray. While I was in South Dakota. You did? I did one oh. one one day, I think. Me and Eric mm-hmm. used it. I think it was after we had showers and I could smell somebody had some fruit on them, you know yeah. what I mean? A little <laughs> bit of fruity smell on them. So of the I, loom. I, uh, I was like, okay, let's just go ahead and spray down. We're going to sweat our tails off, you know, and we have been sweating our tails off. So, like, our hats are probably sweaty and stuff. So, I just sprayed all that down. And the main thought was this. Um, not that a deer is not going to smell us if it gets downwind, but that, um, the wind was almost non-existent that day. And Mm -hmm. I expected that evening for the wind to just, for basically our thermals just to settle around us. And so I thought maybe the less, um, scent molecules settling around us, the less chance of one drifting off into a weird thermal or wind and getting into some deer's nose. So I don't know. It's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, few bucks to have one of those around, and if you're thinking about it and you got time, try it. What I'll about tell you? you what, if I hunted differently, I would probably invest a little more into it. Um, like, say if I was like your dad, and I had yeah. a spot, and I went in there a lot, and I was hunting giant bucks on private land, I probably would spend quite a bit of time on it. Mm-hmm. But with the way we do stuff... There's just no way to do much scent elimination at all. As much we're getting in and out of the truck, I mean, you could, I used to be like, I'm never filling up gas in my hunting boots, and now I literally will just don't even care, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, yeah. and, 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 you know, eating fast food or eating whatever you're eating, you know, what, there's just no way to do much about it. Yeah. You know, I think that having, you could put as much effort into trying to understand like microthermals and little wind drifts and stuff like that. And in the way that, uh, like for instance, on this trip, there were times whenever I would look at a map with like on Onyx, I'd look at the um, hybrid mode on Onyx, right? Where you can see how like this hill kind of descends down into this bottom and you know, you're supposed to have a Northwest wind well, if that hill is kind of coming in from the northeast, you're going to have a pretty much northeast wind at the bottom point of that hill because of the way the wind currents hit that. And you can put enough knowledge into stuff like that and enough effort into like thinking that way as you could you know, trying to worry about scent elimination and probably end up way, way better. Mm-hmm. Guys like to be like, oh, just play the wind, but don't explain that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really... 
the method of explaining that. You know, yeah. uh, working on your approach angles, coming in a direction that you don't expect deer to smell your ground scent. And we got smoked by ground scent on this trip oh. one time. Like, cost Eric and I a mature buck. Yeah. Because we literally went in, set up in a perfect spot, but I got greedy and in a last minute tried to push a little further in to find a better tree to hang and couldn't find it, had to come back and backtrack, and that deer hung up at 35 yards and on our ground scent, and we didn't get a shot. You'll see more about that later. But We've anyways, for spikes. <sighs> spikes. Spikes but got me. I don't mess with it much. However, I do spend all year in scent-free um, laundry detergent and soap. Yeah. That way I don't, it's like not even a regiment at this point in time. It's just what I do. So Just doing what you can. Yeah. You know, we that's also, what, we, we get out on the road, man, and like it gets tough mm-hmm. on a long trip to keep some kind of scent elimination <coughs> going, especially when you talk about adding multiple dudes and camera gear and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the camera might have been at a wedding you know, a week before or whatever, yeah. you know? So exactly. it's just like, I mean, we yeah. just try to do as much as we can. Um, My wife might've gotten the truck with, you know, perfume on yeah. the day before at church, you yeah. know, like who knows, right. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, but I, I like your thoughts about, about how, you know, a wind can from a certain direction can play off of a hill that goes a certain direction and kind of change the east and west mm-hmm. a little bit or the north and south a little yeah. bit or whatever. How many times on this trip did the guys come back, man, I know they called for a northwest, but we had a northeast the whole time. It's mm-hmm. like, well, this is, yeah. you know, that's why. Yeah. Because, you know, a, a good strong wind up against a terrain feature is going to change the terminal direction of yeah. that wind. Well, let's talk about this a little bit, too. Um, you you hunted a spot that I had hunted for a few days. And I sent you in there. I was like, man, this could be good, you know. Uh-huh. And um, is that spot deep down in the, you yeah. know, in the valley there or whatever? You and Eric went in. Um and one thing that I thought that I noticed these deer doing was um, waiting, like staging on thermals. And maybe this is a thing we need to do as a public pen or something like that. But like, you know, I don't know. But I wanted to make sure and talk about this. And we're uh, live on Instagram right now just for a few minutes. Um, so if you guys have any questions or thoughts, we can add that in here. Um, but basically, the the idea is um, I watched these this group of does and two bucks come in one morning. Um, they were, I don't know, half mile away. They were a long ways away. We could see them all the way up this big drainage, right? And this drainage goes up and heads out close to an ag field, um, which is the destination ag, probably like, I don't know, three quarters of a mile away. And so, like, these deer came off early off this ag, probably, you know, before shooting light, and were in this big bottoms, uh, <laughs> bottom section of the, it's essentially the top, the head of this draw, but they're down kind of in the bottom, and they're on these little flats and stuff down in there. And they're just eating grass and stuff and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm like, why are they taking so long? You know, they just feel comfortable. They're going to bed there. Next thing you know, the sun starts rising, and they start to work their way down on a little more solid pace. Mm-hmm. And they end up getting like maybe 200 yards away and then kind of like disappearing down to the bottom of the straw. And like next thing I knew they were the whole, the whole lot of them was blowing up at 150 yards and tails are flying and they're running up the drainage. And I was like, man, what just happened? It took me a second. You know, I thought about it. It's like, what just happened is those deer were literally staging at the top of the straw before they came down into public 
in the morning. And once the sun rose, they realized, which they can realize the stuff because they live in it and they, mm-hmm. you know, everything, they're there every day. They have super senses. But they realized that the thermals are now working up this drainage because the, the sun has hit the ground. And you could see them literally like we had had some rain and stuff. And all this dew was just like working its way up out of the grass and shooting up that canyon. And uh, they just, when they got to like 200 yards or whatever it was, you know, like they eventually got a, a whiff of us because our wind was supposed to be the opposite direction, but it was so light and variable that the thermals were working against mm-hmm. it and ended up spooking them. So we noticed like in several instances where deer were, were staging, um, waiting on and using thermals. And it made it really difficult for us to hunt up there sometimes because there's a lot of draws and drainages where we're at. So I know we spent a lot of time on this question, but it, there's a lot to be said about it. So, um, and then that also addresses wind and stuff like that too. So good question, Dylan. Um, anything else you want to say about it? No. Um, I mean, we can do a whole podcast later. Yeah. Um, so this question says, best way to start applying for tags, both whitetail and Western. Explain the process, please. Uh, both whitetail and Western. Explain the process. Well, the best way to start is to get good Wi-Fi. Uh, that would <laughs> yes. be. And then I think we're going we're gonna to try to make this like – two minutes or so but um you need to determine what your goals are if you want to go on good hunts if you want to go hunt trophies if you just want to see new country uh and go from there i think that if you want to see new country your um options are limitless however you may come home with some selfies for instagram and that's it (laughs) Uh, so uh you know you probably need to table that a little bit and and maybe at least go for an opportunity hunt um Uh, go to the states that you hear guys talking about because um, that's where the animals are. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no tricks to it. I know I realize you could probably go to Maryland and hunt a deer and shoot a big one, but like, you know, Iowa, Missouri, Mm -hmm. Illinois, Mm -hmm. Ohio, those are all states that you can go and do some shooting. And some of those aren't even draw states. But I know we're trying to talk about drawing, you know, yeah. but uh, I kind of end up going just in well, that travel. Is. Yeah. So, uh, but, I mean. uh, so yeah, whitetail isn't quite as intense when it comes to the draw stuff. Now, Western stuff, you know, most of that stuff, there are some OTC opportunities, but most of it, if you want to go hunt good stuff, the draw stuff, um, pretty much uh, I can drop it into two categories. You got, you know, like dream states and then opportunity states. For and even units. In dream units, units and yeah, opportunity units. Absolutely. Yeah. Colorado, you can break down into that. But in general, if you want to go hunt an elk on a draw tag, Colorado, you can do it in a year or two, mm-hmm. you know, putting in for points or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then <clears throat> Wyoming is kind of the same, whereas like Arizona is like kind of a dream state. Well, it depends because if you, if you want to hunt a certain unit with a bow mm-hmm. during their bow season – might take you 30 points. Mm-hmm. But if you want to hunt it a few weeks later and rifle, it might take you six points. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, that's kind of <coughs> you know, it just depends. You got it, like you said in the beginning, you got to set up what you want out of this mm-hmm. goal. Do you want to shoot something or do you want to bow, you know, shoot some of the bow equipment? Because if it doesn't matter, then go shoot one with a rifle. Mm-hmm. Or if the rifle odds are long, then go shoot one with a bow, you know? So uh, you just got to figure out what you're, what you're wanting and, and why. But the best way to start applying is just to uh, – you know, have some money in January and spend it all through April whenever the the uh, ap- applications start, you know, mm-hmm. uh, having deadlines. Yeah. In just, general, I think that's a good point to bring up. You probably need about 
fifteen hundred dollars laying around at least at least but you don't have to have much more than that because you'll get it back Mm -hmm. from a lot of these states and some of these states don't even ask you to front money they just actually charge you like a hundred bucks to apply which kind of stinks but whatever but that's probably um you know kind of the general idea you got to have a little bit of money to get this thing rolling Yep. I think that, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to dig in. You know, a good place to start also would be Jay Scott Podcast or Randy Newberg. They know quite a bit about the Western stuff. So Jay has hours and hours of stuff for you. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't be tired when you listen (laughs) to it. That's (laughs) right. Okay. um, Let's see. Got an Instagram one over here? Yeah. Ever ever plan to hunt Louisiana? Um, I don't say I, I don't say I plan to, but I might. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to. I love. I've hunted in Louisiana, just yeah. not deer. I think there'd be some cool stuff over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About near any state that touches the Mississippi has a good chance of having a big deer. That's right, man. Mm-hmm. Um, have y'all ever tagged out your entire Texas license? No, we've nope. talked about that before. We but have. That mule deer doe is going to be real hard to make happen. Yep. Um, also, the eastern turkey, right? That might be difficult too. Yeah, could be. There's always going to be something, right? You only have so much time in the year in the yeah. day. Um, okay. Um, when scouting, how many miles do you walk? This is also for Mr. Gossett. Mm. How many miles do you walk, Tyler? I have walked probably up to 10, mm-hmm. and I have walked none. <laughs> Last year in South Truck Dakota, we, we drove for six hours one day. I don't know if I walked any that mm-hmm. day. My booty hurt after that. <laughs> Um, so I would think typically it just depends on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I early on walked a lot, but we were learning a lot about not just the area, but about scouting about mm-hmm. deer. And now we can look a lot more with our eyes on the aerial imagery and topo and figure out a lot more, or we can at least eliminate a lot more ground. I think walking is very important. I just think, you know, there was some like, just river bottom ash flats that we walked you know in 17 and 18 that mm-hmm. like it's like holy dude like there there's a buck in there a couple times a year but it ain't really worth trying to bow hunt him in there you know it's tough i think that uh it might be because i'm getting older wiser fatter something but i'm becoming a dip in type guy mm-hmm. and i think that it's actually pretty effective yeah we do a lot of that now. Like, we see a spot, and we're like, man, that's a pretty good-looking spot. It's not real far from the road, but it's kind of inconspicuous. Dip in. I would say that, like, the little two-mile loops are where I find that we find the most stuff out. Mm-hmm. We do, you know, kind of a mile-in, mile-out kind of deal mm-hmm. or whatever. That's where um, – Or even, like, shorter than that to dip yeah, in oh, and look sure. at a food source yeah. and go, man, there's a ton of tracks right here mm-hmm. on the edge of this. Like, And just to assume it's probably not – not mostly night tracks here, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe hang a camera, which we did that in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're definitely right, man. Like shorter, shorter walks to figure out things and then make assumptions from there mm-hmm. can can help. But you know, also we did pay a lot of dues maybe to get to that point. That yeah, absolutely. Others might need to do. because we've seen a lot with our boots, so now we can look at a map and be like, oh, that's what this looks like back in there without yeah. even seeing a sight unseen. Also, I found that. Uh, those dip ins, if you can do twenty of those, it's way better than doing one big one because there's high high risk, high reward mm-hmm. of a big one. One guy goes in there and messes your whole plan up. Mm-hmm. Where if you got the twenty spots that you've kind of gone in and do, done a little scouting on, 
you know, yeah, your heart isn't broken whenever sure. there's a truck sitting there. For sure. Um, okay, we got another one real quick on Instagram. Um, and we got a fly because we got a lot of these. Approach to getting on new deer during October on new property. Um, hot sign. Hot sign, food source, scrapes. Mm-hmm. If you can find uh, white oaks, persimmons, whatever else for food, and then scrapes, probably, right? Mm-hmm. Or depending on whether in the country, you know, uh, ag. Yeah. Too. So right now, corn's coming out in a lot of places. Yep. If you can find a cornfield getting cut, I don't know that that much from experience, but enough smart people I know say that, that's a, another big deal. You know, go find some corn that's getting chopped down. Yep. Um, do you believe deer will see cameras and avoid that area? Uh, They'll see our video cameras. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I, I don't think that they're walking through the woods looking for a camera, but there's we have some some footage of one off of a trail camera that, I mean, he got spooked bad from that camera and I don't think he ever showed up on that camera again. He was in the area. Yeah. But I, I think that that's one of the reasons why almost always we're hanging him at least head high, human head high. Yeah. Whenever we're hanging cameras nowadays. Yep. Um, <clears throat> how high do you hang your camera? That would be human head high at least. At right? least. Yeah. On public land, you know, sometimes we, <laughs> you want to put that camera above eight foot because most guys can reach an eight foot ceiling with their hand. And, you know, sorry, you to, Hunter. <laughs> you want to think like there may be a six, six dude walking around out there. So, you know, closer to nine foot might be good. Um, yeah. And then, you know, if you have a stick with you, just make sure. Cause a lot of times what you can do is put a stick, or hang a, hang it, you know, from a stick and it'd still be less than nine foot. You just mm-hmm. didn't realize because you're putting it, you know, at your chin or whatever. So just make sure that even if you have a stick, you're hanging it high enough. Um, how often do y'all get messed up by other hunters? Hunter, no. Dick, Hunter Dickenses. <laughs> Hunter, Huntress Dickens. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think that often anymore. Uh, maybe um, in a different way. Used to, we get walked in on a little bit. Um, but now I think that we just have a better bearing on like what areas are getting pressure and we don't even go in there and mess with it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I'm trying to think if I well, even got messed up last year. Uh, in some of the states, we have a real tough time with it. Yeah. Because there's just limited public land. Texas is that way too, but yeah. we know, you know, we know a lot of this stuff pretty good. So we yeah. can find a spot. Like, well, we checked a camera last year in texas that had a dude on it that messed the area up Mm -hmm. but we didn't i don't know if we actually hunted that area before we checked the camera Mm -hmm. so i only hunted that spot one time yeah all last year i don't Um, think you ever hunted it cameras can help you with that i would say Mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know i I don't think like that i i'm trying to think i did get there was a time in kansas when i dropped you off a place and went and some dudes would you know i guess they'd I don't know. They were hunting in there where we've hunted before, and so I had to had to really find a new plan real quick. Improvise, yeah. Yeah, sometimes some areas we're not in a lot of uh, places we can hunt. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I had to improvise. Um, Are cell cams worth it for Texas public land, speaking of? Mm, what do you think so far? I love them. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think they're awesome, dude. I mean, we got we hadn't been out there to check them cameras at all, and we got big bucks on camera showing up. Yeah. I mean, we watched, we saw one come in the other night that we were like, man, we could have killed them on that wind. So that's exciting. It's also good information. And I think if we, 
I'm hoping that like if somebody comes across one of those cameras that they would see that it's a cell camera and it would keep them from stealing it. So that's another positive. Oh, I get weird when I see cell cameras and <laughs> I don't too. steal cameras, but like just I see one like I don't want that. Yeah. You know, don't take a picture of me. I feel Big like brother get my here. soul stolen by that camera. <laughs> but dude, and with these Moultrie Deltas are a hundred bucks, you know, like that's barely more than what a like a cheapo trail camera costs. Yeah. You know, and I just think that you can't hardly beat that for um, you know, a public land scenario, and we don't have to go in there and stink something up. Instead, we got this Delta sending us stuff to the app, and we just look at it when we want to check it, you know? Yep. Um, how, do, how do you think the cell cam service and signal has been throughout? Texas public pretty good. Yeah, what I about, think. What about uh, other places? Other places, it's a little spotty because we end up with more terrain. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Nebraska and South Dakota, we still were able to run them yeah. and do pretty good with them, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, here's the thing with a cell camera on an out-of-state trip. If you don't get a giant buck on that camera, it's not the end of the world. You've talked about this before, I think, because um, it just tells you, hey, that trail isn't really producing much right now. So mm-hmm. maybe you don't. Maybe it tells you at least to hunt a little bit different or a lot of bit different area. I think there's the uh, South Dakota cornhead. Uh, <laughs> from this, you know, you name your cameras, uh, but that South Dakota cornhead, I think one of us might have hunted that spot if that camera would have produced more, but we were looking at it and we're like, man, it's not a lot going on right here. Yeah. No, we did have, uh, one good buck on it, right? It was late, late in the middle yeah. of the night though, like 2.30 a.m. Yeah, well, I kind of figured when we hung that, that was going to be the case, mm-hmm. but there was actually daytime movement there. I was surprised. I think, yeah. I think there were deer bedded in that little shelter belt. Probably so. Um, but I think absolutely worth it, you know. Yeah. Now that they're not $400. Yep. Um, how often during the rut and post-rut should you check trail cameras if you don't have a cell camera? Which, by the way, we the cell cameras we're using are the Moultrie Deltas, just so people know. I think people have that question a lot. Those things have been really cool. Mm-hmm. I know some people have, have had some uh, exposure issues. We hadn't really seen a ton of that. We have one camera that's kind of doing a little bit of a green, uh, filter on it Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, but dude, I mean, like you said, like they're, they've sold them for $79. Yeah. Dude. (laughs) We were like looking for $79 cameras five years ago. that weren't cell cameras. Yeah. It's good. So how often would you check non cell? That's going to be very situationally dependent. If you can drive a truck to it on a fairly, um, you know, unintrusive road every day if you you know (laughs) like i think about some of our cameras in kansas i'm like man if we could check that thing every day like you know which ones i'm thinking about Mm -hmm. on some some of that permission we have like i mean that would tell you if there's a buck there or not that you want to go shoot yeah so kind of what you're referring to i think is the fact that this camera sits in a kind of island of cover Mm -hmm. in a big ag area Mm -hmm. so like the deer if a deer comes into that cover in the early morning <laughs> and is around during the day, he will be there that whole day because mm-hmm. he's not going to leave the leave that island to go across a mile of corn that's been cut or whatever. Unless you know what it's I mean? hot and heavy. Yeah. So, you know, um, you still could benefit from it. And I think that post-rut is probably even more exponential to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, most deer in the country uh, that I've hunted – on December 10th are still kind of thinking about things. There's just not as many hot does. Mm -hmm. So 
in the mornings and the evenings, they're kind of hyped up, probably all night too, but during the day, they're chilling. Mm-hmm. And that's really the scenario where you're talking about where, you know, on November 6th, he might take off across that cornfield middle of the day. Probably not, but he yeah. might. But on December 10th, if he was there at 8.30 that morning, he is close to you. Mm-hmm. So you know that that data is good. Now, I know every day is probably not an easy answer. Realistically, um, I would say every five to eight days, things are changing in the fall. Mm-hmm. So, you know, data from 10 to 12 days ago probably isn't worth a whole lot to you anymore. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm going to answer this next one real briefly. Subalpine for early season whitetail. Yes. Yes. Um, you guys wear several different camo brands. What is your favorite and why? Um, I'll go ahead and start uh, real quick. Uh, Sika makes high quality stuff. I also have some first light merino that I've worn that I like a lot too. Um, and I think that natural gear has a good pattern for some of the stuff we hunt. Um, so those are kind of all my jams. I'm, I wear a big, big suit that has a, it's a walls, uh, coverall and it's real tree and it's good, good pattern too. Um, yeah. I think people put a little too much stock into, the camo pattern and should put a little more into how it functions. Yeah. I, uh, killed from the ground in some sub a, uh, this week. Um, <clears throat> guys, for the most, we bought some Zika back in the day, but for the most part, they send us a bunch of free stuff nowadays. So take that for what it's worth. We wear it because it's bad to the bone. Yeah. Right? You're not going to turn down. The expression is don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yep. And it's nice. So we wear it. Uh, and in that scenario, that, that stuff looked so good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, like you were saying, natural gear in general it looks real good as well. I'm pretty much right there where you are. Sitka performs terrifically. Natural gear, once things start getting brown, looks the best, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of where I'm at. I'm actually, um, outside of warmth, you probably won't catch me in a lot of elevated two this year, I don't think. Yeah. It's warm, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, because they, they make like the fanatic stuff and all that, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, eh, that's kind of my thoughts. Uh, I'm with you on the solids, too. We wear a lot of solid pants whenever we're, yeah. you know, unless I really feel like I need to be camoed out. I, I was telling, I think, Chris this, like, dude, if they've seen you, they've seen you. Mm-hmm. So, like, that, it's just the tiniest edge you're going to have about having some camo britches on as opposed to having a solid, you know, natural color mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the best way to implement entrance and exit plans on public? Um, look at the wind first. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, try to assume where they're betting mm-hmm. and where they're going to end up feeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and try not to cross that path if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, don't let your wind blow on the betting mm-hmm. as you're in- entering. And then, um, if it's an evening, if it's a yeah, morning, you yeah. can blow it towards the bed. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. The good, good, uh, clarity there. Uh, don't blow it to the wind <coughs> or to the field. If you're in the morning hunting, don't also, uh, go through, don't go, don't walk down the field edge in the morning because it's easy. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to walk a different route if you want to have a chance. Also, I like getting in early. I got in real early when I killed my buck in South Dakota the morning that we killed. And it was a good thing I did, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so helps you to be quieter when you're not in a rush. Yeah. I think that that quiet is a big deal. I think that a lot of times uh, you could just have this switch. We've talked about this before, uh, exit and entrance. Like, we used to be real bad about, like, well, hunt's over. Let's just throw our crap on the ground from the tree stand and get down and walk out of here, you know. And I think that um, 
being stealthy the whole time you're in the like you and I, dude. I noticed this. Um, no, no, you know, slide against any of our other compadres, but uh, like anytime we stepped out of the truck in South Dakota, maybe whispering kind of like this the whole time, <laughs> you know. And we we might be a mile from somewhere we're gonna hunt, and it ain't even a hunting day, you mm-hmm. know. Like, but it's just the way we are nowadays, yep. you know. Just. I don't know. sets a sets a good precedent. It's better to uh, be like, "Hey, why are we whispering?" Then, "Hey, can you please stop yelling?" That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, fix versus mechanical debate? Question mark. I'm Man. not sure. There's a few words missing there. <laughs> but we know what you mean. Um, there is a debate between fix versus mechanical. Always will be. You go ahead and me. Answer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Man, I have, I'm not going to say I've come full circle in this thing because I think that each has its own place and position, but I can tell you this, all right, and this is kind of a different uh, different thought than you probably know about me if you've listened to us for very long, but after about five days on a road trip, I don't feel great about the tune on my bow and about the way things are going. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it feels real good to slap a mechanical on there on day eight and rip a deer on the ground because you just know that the thing isn't going to, you know, just veer terribly. Is that um, what you did? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I would say that every person, uh, I'm not going to say it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say me. I will always have a mechanical in my quiver from here on out. Um, those grim reapers we have been shooting are bad to the bone. And I think that's the key. I don't want to slap a aluminum junkie and those have some aluminum on them. Don't get me wrong, but like, just like a lightweight Amazon special on there, you know, I I want something that is high quality because, uh, you're going to need that if you hit some bone, no matter Mm -hmm. what. Um, I still like a fixed head, especially for on the ground because, Anywhere you go where there's tall grass and you're shooting through that stuff, not that you should shoot through stuff to kill a deer, but something can always, yeah, you can't, you can't always see that stuff. And, and man, if you nick something with a heavy duty, heavy arrow, uh, heavy duty, heavy broadhead, um, that's fixed, it's liable to just kind of go right off of it. If you hang a blade on a front deploy or rear deploy broadhead, on a piece of grass, that thing is about to go sideways. I've seen it. I've done it, right? So uh, my my call pretty much is if I'm on the stand and it's close quarters, 20 and in, and it's pretty thick, I'm probably going to run a fixed. Or if I'm on the ground, most of the time I'm going to run a fixed unless I have long shots. I shot five bucks with a fixed last year out to 30 yards. Two of them were at 30. So... I can I can definitely attest to the fact that they all, you know, they it did pretty much what it's supposed to. It didn't create much of a blood trail, but um, that it works. And I've shot two so far this year with a fixed a mechanical a mecha- mechanical. Gosh, sorry, I can't talk. <laughs> sorry. Um, and both of them have died very quickly with and, great blood. With great blood. So for me, I think I'm going to be shooting mechanical the rest of the year. I'm not saying I won't ever shoot a fixed, um, but for now, just as much as we got going on and everything, it's nice to slap, like you said, slap mechanical on and know it's going to shoot real close to where your field tip is, you know? So, and I have shot mechanicals to make sure they're shooting still similar, you know? So, Mm -hmm. um, 
you guys practice, I don't know exactly what this question means, but maybe you can help me. We see you guys practice a lot from the ground, but do you target practice from a saddle? How do you manage to make your shots more difficult from a saddle? They manage to make themselves pretty difficult. (laughs) (laughs) But I get what he's saying. It's like, uh, you know, we shoot our bows from the ground a lot, and do you practice from elevated positions? Is he saying, do you. Man, how do you make it more difficult when practicing from a saddle? I think so. Okay. Because I don't think anybody would be trying to make it more difficult whenever they're Definitely actually not. hunting. Um, <laughs> honestly, I haven't done enough shooting. I, I don't do that probably as much as I should, but it's pretty tough logistically to make it happen. You kind of need a buddy there. And um, as much as it seems like we're together, we actually don't have a lot of time <laughs> to just go out and dink around. Like, hey, man, will you stand over about Target while I shoot this thing? Bring me a mare's back. You know, like, that's not that's not really – it's pretty tough to make happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually about to release a video uh, tonight uh, uh, on the 14th of October about how to hang, hang a saddle fast uh, with a cruiser saddle and some sticks and getting up and do it pretty quick. But um, I do shoot from an elevated position there. And uh, honestly – uh, the the main consideration is probably just shot angle and vitals on a deer. If your T, meaning like your um, posture, your T, like you know whenever you're standing up straight, your shoulders and your spine make a T, right? And whenever you draw your bow, you're still making that T. As long as you don't contort that too much, it's the same thing, right? So after that, the thing that you need to consider, and this is what got me in trouble in Kansas last year is I well I still killed the deer real good it was better than we thought but like you can't shoot a deer at 12 yards from 15 foot up in a tree one third the way down the body and say smoked him because actually that your arrow is going to probably exit right at the bottom of the deer and you might get one lung Mm -hmm. you you have to think about that stuff and I think honestly target practice isn't going to help you much with that because you're not shooting at a real animal you're shooting at a dot yeah. Uh, in that. Now, if you have a full body target, you, it might. But I think that uh, if we we have, and I think that if a person is concerned with, you know, shooting from an elevated position, that's where they need to put their thought at is like, okay, where do I need to aim at this deer? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and honestly, you know, you know, 15 yards and in, it needs to look like a high shoulder shot. Yeah. I think maybe also like, that's something you could do. Um that could help you is, you know, if you're going to shoot, we've talked about the, um, the broadhead type just now, and now we're talking about shooting out of saddle. You know, one thing that might be good is to sit there and, um, get, if you're going to shoot fixed, get the fixed out and shoot it from a saddle a few times. And Mm -hmm. if you can't shoot it very good, if it's plain and all over the place, Mm -hmm. maybe that fixed is not for you this season. You know what I mean? Maybe you still have to work out some things. So, um, I know that I know I'm not even saying that I'm saying that that's about me, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I put on a iron wheel the other day and it went to cruising all over the place. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm just going to stick with these I think, um, mechanicals. Another thing that you need to pop, probably think about, um, is get a site possibly if, if you're worried about this, get you a site that has a third axis and get that adjusted out right. And then watch your bubble. So, because if you get both of those things done and, and your bubble level on your side is good, like it really doesn't matter as long as your bow is being held in the right spot mm-hmm. uh, to an extent. Guys are going to roast me, okay? I get it, but like <laughs> to an extent, hey, you probably shouldn't be shooting seventy yards out of a saddle, anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing that, you didn't set up in the right tree. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But but uh, you know, twenty thirty yards 
you know, you get everything level on your bow, make sure your your points of contact are the same, you know, on your release or um on your face and cheek, ear, whatever your your point of contact is, mm-hmm. and you should be fine. So we're definitely not gonna get through all these questions. Uh, we may have to do a part two. Um but we're gonna keep going. That's how it goes. We we end up like we're gonna make this short and the first ten we do kind of short and then we're like, okay, yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right, man. Uh this says arrow setup, bow specs. We already talked about arrow setup. Let's talk about bow specs real quick. This guy mm-hmm. says he's shooting vectors as well. Good deal. Uh bow specs. I'm shooting seventy pounds, twenty nine inch draw. That's you elite. Oh, that, oh, you're describing yourself. Yep. I thought that's what this guy was saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm a 28 and a quarter inch draw. Got to get that, you know, you know how it is, dude. You got to compensate a little bit. <laughs> it's like um, almost six foot, uh, so 5'11 right. and yeah. three quarters. Three quarters, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, at 70 pounds, 72 actually. I think mm. that you probably are probably. It's like 71, 72. something yeah. like that, yeah. And uh, yeah, so and shooting 600 grain arrow. Okay. Um, Elite Encore. Yeah, those next uh, two questions are the same thing. How about whisker biscuits? Um, I think they're cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I shot one for forever. I think you slow your air down just a little bit, and they might be a little bit loud, but um, if you are doing a lot of spot and stalk on the ground in some heavy cover, I think it's a cool deal. Yeah. Uh, I do think that you got to watch out for them wearing out and, you know, mm. that sort of thing, but they're cheap Killed a too. bunch of deer with them. Yeah. Nameless. If you go watch Nameless video, you can see one get smoked with a whisker biscuit. Uh, how many shots can you get out of an arrow before it fails? I have no clue. Out of an arrow? Yeah. Uh, your strings on your bow are going to fail before the arrow ever thinks about I think your arm it. muscles are going to fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that carbon that arrows are made out of is about near indestructible. Yeah. So. Don't... Uh, I mean, don't shoot it into concrete, I yeah. think. Outside um, influence is going to be the problem. Whether you hit a hard surface or you get it nicked by another uh, broadhead or something or whatever. This sounds like a Dan question. <laughs> broadhead question. How do you put a deer in front of one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's, well, uh, that's a good question. We'll, watch uh, our YouTube channel. Yeah, there you go. Watch watch YouTube channel. We can, we can put one in front of a... We can put a deer in front of a broadhead in about 30 minutes or less on, That's right. on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> ever shot a narrow broadhead? Narrow? I don't know what that is. Uh, I mean, last year we saw some, shot some pretty narrow ones. Inch yeah. and an eighth, I think, or something. I didn't oh, really okay. like it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, uh, not. I got some Annihilators from Isaac. He sent me some. Things are tiny. It's going to be my hog broadheads, yeah. you know. But uh, supposedly they're supposed to kind of outperform their size. But, yeah. I like wider. Me Wider's too. better. Me too. I think um, if you're looking for better penetration by using a narrow broadhead, you should just get a heavier arrow instead. Maybe. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, G5 dead meats, question mark? I don't know. I don't I Hunter killed some mud real good with one. He did, man. <laughs> <laughs> dead mud. <laughs> dead mud. Uh, have you ever found that deer made it to next season with pieces of broadhead stuck inside of them. No, that's only John Eberhardt, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we had a friend in Colorado who uh, butchered his elk and found a broadhead in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shot two different elk that I'm almost positive lived over their shots. Mm-hmm. So um, not that I'm bragging about that kind of stinks, but you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you get what I'm saying? Uh, but never, I've never seen it on a deer. Yeah, I haven't either. I think... Um, that maybe dramatize some deer kind of. I mean, Michigan deer, of course, different. You know, they're way better. But 
<laughs> dude, old Texas deer, they aren't very hardy, man. Man, their skin is thin. Their skin is thin. <laughs> I think if you hit them, they're going to die sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this guy says, how did you feel about the Grim Reaper's performance? I think that question came from Nebraska. And I think after two more uh, South Dakota deer, <laughs> we're feeling pretty good about them. They, they kill them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you attach your platform and sticks to your pack? Or how do you? Um, you and I do about the same thing on this, right? Yeah, I carry in a lot, though. You carry in your, your platform, too? No, my sticks. Yeah, yeah I started platform. carrying in my sticks most of the time. Well, no, I take that back. A lot of the times, it depends on how far the walk is. Yes. If it's a short walk, I'll just carry the sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a long walk, I'm attaching my platform on a top buckle, kind of up by my head, and I'm attaching my sticks on a lower buckle, and they actually sit, we, you know, we're running those Sitka uh, tool belts. And the, sit, the, the sticks actually kind of sit on top of that lower pouch, like that's where their weight is riding, and that strap is just kind of holding them against the laundry hamper up there. And it works really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way I get to the stand, uh, I either get help from Eric or somebody to help me unbuckle those sticks, I start putting those on the tree, and then I get, you know, however many sticks I want to go and – I'm going to lean back on my lineman's belt if I have it on and um, just reach back and unbuckle that platform and put it right on the tree right there. If you have a normal pack, you can also put – a lot of times I like to put like two sticks on each wing or each side. <coughs> so you can strap two sticks to the left sides, two on the right, and then put your saddle right in the middle and usually putting clothes in there to help it just snug up, you mm-hmm. know, but also to carry your clothes. It's funny in. you say that, dude. I, I sometimes take more clothes than I know I'm going to need just because I like the pack to be fuller. I sometimes take more clothes that. than I know I'm going to need because I'm going to need. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> well, I'm cold. If you're running lightweight stuff, it's not that big of a deal, you know. If yeah. you if you don't want to take those big coveralls in unless you need them. Oh, I know. Because dude. they weigh like 15 pounds. Dude, you have to <laughs> fold them like three times and then hope that your straps are oh, big enough. I got some good pictures from Iowa of you just being Quasimodo turtle man. That's the worst <laughs> thing about daggum rattling antlers, man, is trying to get them to fit on all of that. Oh, I know. You it. know? It's like ridiculous. But anyway, I think that's going to about wrap it up for us uh, for this one. We literally have probably at least another 75 questions oh wow um so we didn't get to all those so we may have to do a part two pretty soon or just add these on um when we do our november um rut q a so if you do have a question um that we have not answered yet make sure and send that to us via email in the dms and instagram or even on facebook um and we will add that to the list and we will try to get to it um, guys, again, it's coming up on the best time of year. Thank you so much for, for paying attention to what we're doing. It means a lot to us. It really does. Um, gives us the opportunity to do things that we have uh, wanted to do and worked really hard to do um, for a long time now. So we're super appreciative of that. We don't want that to go by the wayside unless you guys know that we do appreciate it. So with that, remember, this is your element. Live in it. Love me, hate me, but don't forget me.
You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.